What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of The Life of Pi. Episode 6 coming at you live from Cleveland, Ohio. And tonight, I'm going to talk about the new Netflix miniseries, The Hunt for a Serial Killer, The Night Stalker. This is a four-part miniseries about the rampage that one of the most notorious serial killers in the world that we had to this date went on in 1985 and parts of 1986. His name is Richard Ramirez. Um, I said, I'm going to talk about with that. He, like I said, he was a sick son of a bitch. Um, A lot of you guys probably know who he is by now, or if you don't, you should. The show is amazing. Um, Basically, this show is a four-part miniseries. Each episode is about eh, 45 minutes or so. Um, In each episode, it's like damn near a mini-movie. I mean, they have so much info packed into this show. Um, So basically, what I want to do with this episode is I'm going to talk about the show and what they talk about in the show and just like just Richard Ramirez in general. Um, yeah, so that's what we'll do. Um, but yeah, basically, I said the show is about him. And basically what they did with this show, which I really liked, they actually got the two detectives, the partners, if you will, and that from Homicide Department in L.A., that helped track this son of a bitch down. You had Detective Gil Carly Leo, if I butchered his last name, I am sorry, and Detective Frank Salonaro. So, to give you a little background info on these guys, um, Gil is a young, young cop. He served in Vietnam, uh, came back, became a beat cop, worked his way up to become Frank's partner. Um, Detective Frank Salonaro. They actually talk about how he caught another serial killer that I didn't really, I hadn't known about until I watched the series, actually. The Hillside Strangler, which was also in L.A. And these two were part of, like, the homicide department. They refer to as the, the, the reporter, Tony Valadez, who's in the show a bunch with interviews and stuff. Talk about it as, they call them the bulldogs, because basically they would focus on a crime, and they didn't let it go, and they would solve it. Years later. So basically, like they said, they like they interview these guys. Um, they have a lot of interviews with these two. They have interviews with detectives, other detectives, um, victims that survived attacks from Richard Ramirez, uh, victims, relatives, and family that didn't survive, news reporters that covered this, um, just all kinds of just interesting characters and just like random citizens and stuff are in this. And like, like they do a bunch of like reenactments of him, like driving around, like setting up like crime scenes, not real crime scenes, but like the, just a the cinematographer they do to like to, to basically give you a visual of what they're talking about with actually showing you. And then, um, they do a great job of just like with the interviews of just breaking down, like, how sick this son of a bitch was. Like, he would literally creep into people's houses in the middle of the night, open their windows, come in, and just murder people. Just murder them for no no reason. 
Um, this guy had no rhyme or reason for what he did. Uh, no remorse. As you see, like episode four, they they uh, show him in the uh, courtroom and he's just smirking from ear to ear. And it's just like, it's just, it, you can literally see it. They talk about like death in the eyes and darkness. Like you can see it like in the courtroom. He's just a sick son of a bitch. And um, yeah, he was just, in the way they described him, like everybody described him the same way. Messed up teeth. He wore an ACDC hat that he bought at a thrift store. A black members only jacket. Long scraggly curly hair. Long skinny face. Death in the eyes. And uh, they actually had a girl on. They actually have a girl and I think it's episode one. Excuse me. Who talks about. Um, meeting Richard Ramirez by chance. Like she said, she's talking about how she's at a thrift store as a kid and she sees an ACDC hat. She wasn't really familiar what that is. And then she kind of walks away from the hat and as she, and as she's walking away, she sees a random guy walk over and pick it up and put it on, grins at her and walks away. Then she talks about how she's like driving home and she notices this guy like, Weaving in between traffic to get up behind her is like, like, like right up on her bumper and then pulls up next to her and just grins at her. It's the same, it's the same guy. It's Richard Ramirez. She like describes his teeth and just like the hat and, and everything. And they put this all together because that was the night he committed his first murder, which was St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, 1985. And mind you, like LA is going through a boom at this point. So like, you have like all the big time like eighties movies happening and like uh, like a lot of real estate stuff's going, a lot of businesses are booming. Like I said, LA is like I mean obviously LA's always been a big city, but like it's just a big booming city. It's like booming again, I guess, if you will. And the other side of the tracks you have the poor side, which is where he's from. And um But yeah, so he goes on and commits his first murder that night actually his first two i'm sorry his first two um yeah he uh let me find my notes here real quick sorry yes yeah, first victim is uh daily okasaki probably butcher that name 34 year old female gunshot to the head and they talk about how he broke into the house, scared her, chased her, and basically waited for her to pop her head up over the countertop where her fingers are at, because he saw her hands, and just shot her point blank in the face. And they talk about how, like, the roommate came home a couple minutes after that, and the roommate didn't know what was happening. I guess he slapped on the hood of a car, startled her, shot, tried to shoot her in the face, but the bullet deflected off her car keys. Imagine surviving a gunshot to the face from a couple feet away because your car keys save you. And so she runs into the house and sees it. So she goes, runs back out the door. Mind you, he's right at the front door at the same time as she's coming out the garage door. They meet in the front. And she told that she tells the detectives how the te- detectives tell the story how she was telling them that 
she looks at him and goes, look, you already shot me in the face once. Are you really going to shoot me again? And I guess Richard Ramirez just grinned at her, put the gun to his waist, and just walked away. And then the detectives talk about how they found out, like, the next morning that another murder, same caliber, same gun, was used in another homicide, like, a mile, mile and a half away from this other murder. So he murdered two people, almost three, within a couple hours span to start his, like, spree in 1985. And I guess, like, and, they, and again, they talk about how, um, in the series, they talk about how they go to see a, like, psychologist dude at some, I forget what university it is, I'm sorry. And he diagnosed, and they talk about, like, it's some, like, thing where people like to see the fear in someone's eyes before killing them. So instead of, like, creeping up on the roommate, he slapped the hood of the car because he wanted to see the fear in her eyes before pulling the trigger. It was like, it's like a rush to him. It's like an adrenaline rush. Like, adrenaline junkies get when doing something crazy. That's what it is for him, is the fear in the eyes before murdering someone. And, like, like the way he went about his murders is just, it was just so random. He would kill men, women, younger, older, race, gender. Like I said, didn't matter, random, no pattern, no cause, no nothing. And that's why it was so hard for them to track him down. Because most serial killers or killers in general, they have a pattern, a type, a signature, like something like they take something from the crime scene. And this guy didn't do that. He killed in multiple different ways. Guns, tire irons, knives, handcuffs, thumb cuffs. Didn't know thumb cuffs were a freaking thing. He would strangle people. And like in this series... They literally have, like, the one thing I love, which is also kind of gross to think about, well, I guess if you're not like me, but other people are, like they like I said, they have all kinds of photos from, like, detective offices, they have news reporter, like, like clippings from the newspapers, they have old video footage from the cops, they have, like, photos of the house, they have photos of the crime scene, the bodies, the murder weapons... And, like, you can just see how bloody without them even showing that many, like, like that much stuff. Like, how vicious this guy was. And, like, the detectives, like, Gil and Frank would talk or, or oh, like, kept talking about, like, a couple times there would be, like, murders where, like, the lady, like, he, like, he killed some lady, slit her throat, and then stabbed her in the throat, slit, like, multiple times. Like, it wasn't enough. Then, like... He killed his other he killed his other victims, uh sixty-four and forty-four year old husband and wife. Um killed the husband first, left the wife defenseless, and then cut out the wife's eyes after he raped and killed her, then cut out her eyes and took the eyes with him and left. And then it got they're talking about it got to the point where he became comfortable enough where he would start like hanging out at these crime scenes. Like, there's literally, like, half-eaten cantaloupes. Like, one of the scenes, like, he was, like, masturbating and, like, 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 masturbating, yearning on the floor, drawing, like, satanic symbols with, like, blood and lipstick on the wall. And just, like, it's just, you can just, like, tell, just, like, from, like, the pictures they show and how graphic and stuff it is. It's just, like, he was a sick son of a bitch.
another thing I love they did with the series, they don't overdo it, which is why I think it works so well, is they'll be showing like a B-roll, which for those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically, it's just like, it's filling stuff when they're like, they're, they're showing like photos and just stuff to fill in time, I guess, in between like interviews and stuff. So they're showing like B-roll, like cars driving around and showing visualizations of like, this is what he's doing, he's driving, they're showing, they're showing the cops driving around, just reenacting it. And while they're doing this, they're actually playing voiceover clips of Richard Ramirez, of him actually talking from an interview he gave from Death Row to a reporter back in the late 80s. He talks about how, like, Satan is the reason he lives, and this is what I do, and it's like, and it's just like, ugh. And, like, they almost had him, too. Like, they talk about how they almost had him. But the police department fucked up, and um, I guess, like, he was leaving a murder, he was actually leaving a murder, and got pulled over by a cop. And the cop was pulling him over for, I think, a speeding ticket or something. And um, they had him. The cop went back to his car to get, like, um, like a ticket, like one of the ticket books they used to write tickets on. And they're talking about how, like, basically, like, he got flagged for a stolen car, so that's how they got him. And basically, like, he wrote. A pentagram, which is the, the sign of the devil, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, on the windshield and fled the scene. And so the cops like, shit, you know, they're talking about how like like this is like this is our opportunity. And you know, you know, fingerprints, you know, fingerprints, all that fun and like all that kind of stuff, you know, it's eighties so like they're you know, all that stuff is not as high tech as it is now, the forensics of it. And so they put two to the impound lot, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll take care of it. And then by the time they were allowed to get to it, it had baked in the sun for like a week or so. Fingerprints and stuff were destroyed. Everything was destroyed. And so they're like, great, we're back around zero. But then, then they show how they found a dentist card crumpled up on the floor of the car. Like, that's just like, that's attention to detail. Find that little, that little thing that could open it up. And then they talk about how they um, actually, like, called the dentist up, hooked it up with him, had officers stake out the dentist's office because he, he, he had really fucked up teeth. So he was going to have to come back because the dentist was like, yeah, he's got, like, his teeth are all jacked up. He's going to have to come back in because his teeth are a mess. And so they had cops staking it out every day. And eventually, like, the cops were told, you can't have people there. It's costing too much money. So the dentist goes, we'll have like a panic button there. And so a couple of days, go, like, like literally the first day they don't have somebody there, he comes in. The dentist hits the panic button like three times. The panic button didn't work. So they missed him. They missed him by that. And like he got away with more murders. And it's just like, it's like you're that close. You're that close to getting him. And he slips through your fingers like that. And I said, they, they go in, like I said, this show was so good. Like, they go into so many details about, like, how close they got. Like, one of the cool facts that they found, one of the biggest pieces of evidence that they had was the shoe print of an Avia shoe that they found in, like, three different crime scenes. 
and they talk about how only one they they sold one pair of Avias in LA in 1985, and that's all they could trace. They couldn't trace it back to him. I think about that. One pair in all of LA from China in 1985. Like that is, that's nuts. And it's. Then all of a sudden, it got to the point where he like they kept getting closer and closer, and then he started. It turns out he started using like Greyhound buses to commit murders outside of L.A. Like he had a locker at like a Greyhound station, and like he would use the Greyhound buses to transport back and forth, and he eventually got caught by a car that he stole and someone recognized like a like a car driving around driving around a neighborhood one day and said hey you know there's a suspicious vehicle driving around they reported it they got partial plates then some guy's neighbor came i was like yeah my neighbor's car was stolen and gnashed the partial plates tracked it down somehow led them i won't get into all that because there's not enough time but um and they talk about how they tracked him down to this, like, Greyhound station. And then, I guess, like, he walked to the Greyhound station once they had him tracked down. Then, I guess, he, like, took off. And then, like, he ran for, like, several blocks. Because I guess he had a brother, like, eight blocks from the station. So, he got to his brother's house. His brother could hide him. Then, I guess, he's running to the neighborhood. And I guess he tried to carjack... Two, I think two or three different people and like the people fought back they weren't scared of him and then eventually they recognized who it was so then then this neighborhood in LA basically tracks this dude down like chases him down and captures him for the police he got caught by a but an angry mob of citizens that were just done with this shit one of the most notorious serial killers in the world was caught by angry neighborhood people, which is crazy. And you can only imagine, like, the relief on these detectives. So t- and these tech detectives are talking about how, like, they're, like, you know, the one detective, Gil Guerrero, was talking about how he's working 18, 19 hours a day, sometimes more, you know, and, like, his wife was like, you need to slow down. He's like, I can't. You understand what I'm going through. And um, he would sleep two or three hours a night. And, honestly, I think the reason that Richard Ramirez kills so often, so quickly, um, I mean, you think, you think about it. If you're exhausted, you're tired, are you really in that great state of mind? Is your brain working 100%? No. Detectives are going to miss him. They're going to slip up. And that's, I can only imagine that's what he's relying on. He had to have been. Yes, he's a psychopath. Yes, he's a serial killer. He thinks differently than all of us. I don't want to know what his brain works like. But, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. Like, you do it to the point of them exhausting themselves that they, that they can't function to the best of their abilities so you have a chance to keep getting away with this. And then it turns out, I guess, like, you know, before he got captured, he started committing murders close to the detectives' houses. I guess, like, he murdered someone, like, I think, like, a mile or two down the street from Detective Gil Correro's house. And his wife moved out and said, I'm not coming back. And he was, she was there with the kids, and they were gone for, like, a year or something like that. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, it's just like this dude was like he was something else. And like after they caught him, um, he you know he's like, yeah, it's me, whatever. I I don't care. Didn't care. Didn't care at all. Like no remorse, zero remorse whatsoever. And um, yeah, it's just sick, sick son of a bitch, man. Just really sick son of a bitch. And he's talking, and like, and then when they interviewed him, I guess their detectives talked about how when they interviewed him, they introduced themselves. He goes, "Oh, I know who you are." He goes, "I've read the newspapers, or I've read the clippings," because he heard about them and learned about them because the San Francisco PD released information close to the case that they weren't supposed to release ahead of time. So he knew, like, I think it was the shoe thing. They released the shoe information, which no one knew about. And so then he knew that he had changed his shoes, and they're like, well, shit, now we're screwed. You know, eventually they did catch him. You know, and it, and it turns out, like I said, and when, and when he went to prison, I mean, went to court, stuff got real freaking weird after that. They, they showed courts, they showed clips of inside the courtroom. Like, this guy had, like, fans, like, fans, like, like praising him. Like, you had, like, they showed pictures of, like, females sending, like, nude photos, half-nude photos and, like, love letters to him in prison saying how they love and think he's so beautiful and so sexy and just, like, and if you ever see this individual, he is not an attractive, he was not an attractive individual. Ugh. And it's just, like, ugh. And they show, like, in the courtroom, these females would, like, show up to the courtroom. They would, like, show up. In the courtroom, like, dressed in black and and stuff. And they show, like, Richard Ramirez, like, looking back, just smirking. Just this evil, just nasty grin at, like, these courtroom sessions. And, like, you know, one of his first court appearances, like, he's walking out of the courtroom. And he yells, Hail Satan. And has a pentagram carved in his hand. That's, like, one of the most famous, like, not, well, I don't know, famous, but most well-known, like, clips or pictures. You would see of him. He yells, like, Hail Satan and stuff. He's being taken out of the jail, the courthouse and stuff, and people are trying to interview him, you know, as he's walking out. He's talking about, he goes, oh, don't worry about me. He, he goes, I'm going to live on. He goes, I'll see you all in Disneyland. Like, what? Disneyland? Dude, what are you talking about? You've been convicted of, like, in September 20th, 1989. I was two years old for, so for perspective. It's 2021. He was convicted of 13 murders, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, 14 burglaries, and claimed to have committed dozens of more crimes that they didn't know about. He's talking about going to Disney World when they're getting ready to kill his ass. It turns out he ended up serving 23 years in prison on death row to where eventually cancer got him in 2013 in prison. So they actually, and that's the that's another crazy thing. Like, this dude sat on death row for twenty three years. People are paying for him to sit there instead of just getting rid of him. But that's just me. Um, yeah, but like I said, this show is it's so good. I mean, there's, I said I'm not gonna bore. I'm not gonna do a two hour show on like all the details and stuff because there's just you know you got you guys. I'd rather you guys watch it. He like said you get a chance. You know, go check out the series. Like I said I watched it twice. So they're, like, the interviews they have with these detectives and the victim survivors and victims' families and like 
press clippings, press releases, interviews from like the 80s. And just like all their details that I just, I can't dive into. I, I just don't have time to dive into tonight. Um, it, it's crazy. Like, like, like you literally see the story develop from the beginning to end. And like I said, yeah, it's really not that long. It's basically like watching two movies back to back. If you watch all four, well, all four episodes. And, and like, and going, and going off of that, my next episode, I actually talking about the vanishing at the Cecil Hotel and apparently he stayed there for a while. And I guess he used, and they talk about on that show, how Richard Ramirez used to come back to the hotel, change out of his clothes in the alley, covered in blood, and walk up to his room, covered in blood and just his underwear, and no one did anything. And this is like in the middle of everything. Like, think about that. People saw him covered in blood, no big deal. And like, that's LA for you in the 80s. But, but yeah, like I said, Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, like I said, I find this stuff intriguing. I said, I'm really going to try and dive into like a lot of these like murder mystery, serial killer stuff because I'm really on that kick right now. So I'll probably do a, a, a couple episodes on it. Um, but yeah, I said, definitely check this show out. It's very good. Like I said, the next one I'm going to do here in a couple of days is The Vanishing, The Sisto Hotel, another good mini series Netflix has. Again, be sure to you know like, subscribe, message, comment. And um, I will talk to all you guys later. And as always, until next time, I hope you've enjoyed this slice of pie.